I'm not gonna debate you, Jerry. I'm not gonna sit here and debate. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Red Glare Podcast. My name is Daniel Fritch. I am your host. I appreciate you joining us. This week, episode three of the Red Glare is pretty exciting because it's our first chance to get into some Rockets talk. Now, this is ostensibly a Rockets podcast, but we're in the doldrums of the NBA offseason. There's not a ton going on, especially in terms of the Rockets. Until this week, we had Kevin Durant, star forward for the Brooklyn Nets, rescinded his trade request and said, hey, uh, I'm going to go back to Brooklyn, we're going to win a championship, whatever the hell. But this is especially relevant to Rockets fans because, obviously, we traded James Harden, our star guard, to Brooklyn for draft picks. And so how Brooklyn goes in terms of wins and losses over the next five years is of tremendous import to Houston Rockets fans. So my at first blush, when Durant decided to return to Brooklyn, rescind his trade request as a Rockets fan, I was like, ah, oh, this is bad news, right? We want not the best player, one of the best players in NBA history, one of the best players playing basketball right now. We don't want him playing for Brooklyn when we have uh, control of their draft picks moving forward, but... I read a piece by N.B. Lindbergh on SpaceCityScoop.com arguing the opposite, arguing that Kevin Durant returning to Brooklyn was actually good news for the Houston Rockets and for Houston Rockets fans. And he convinced me as I'm reading his piece, I'm like, hey, this is actually, this makes a lot of sense. So my conversation with N.B. is coming up here in a moment. I reached out to him. I was like, hey, man, come on the, come on the podcast. Explain yourself. And he was gracious enough to do that. And I'm so excited to have him here because the conversation I have with him is exactly the kind of conversation I was envisioning when I launched the Red Glare podcast. These were the kind of conversations I was hoping to capture, and I hope you'll enjoy the show. But before we get to that conversation, I wanted to speak just for a second on the idea of humility in sports and in culture in 2022. So Kevin Durant star forward for the Brooklyn Nets, if you go to his Twitter profile, which I'll do right now, his Twitter profile, you can set your bio on twitter.com to whatever you want. You can type in whatever you want, right? It can be, uh, for a lot of folks, it's a biblical verse, or it's a description of themselves, it's a joke, it's whatever you want it to be. For Kevin Durant, it's, and I'm going to read it to you here in a moment, I'm me, I do me, and I chill. So that's nine words. Three of them are I, and two of them are me. And it occurs to me as a parent, as a guy who is constantly trying to get my kids to be less egocentric, less self-centered, less um, whatever you want to call that, to be more humble, to have some more humility. Um, If my six-year-old wins a board game, his instinct is to say, can you believe how great I am? Can you believe how good I am at this game? And my instinct as a father, as a parent, is to say, people don't want to hear you say you're great. Even if you are great, they don't want to hear you tell them that you're great. And I think about like Patrick Mahomes, 
quarterback, Kansas City Chiefs. I'm not a Chiefs fan, of course. I'm a Texans fan. But I've seen more than one occasion Patrick Mahomes win the game with an incredible play, and the sideline reporter will pull him aside at the end of the game, and she'll ask him, how did you find Tyreek Hill wide open down the sideline with all those defenders all around you and etc.? And Patrick Mahomes will say, well, the coach called the perfect play, and my guys up front, they bought me enough time to make the play, and Tyreek beat his man by five steps, and I was just in the right place at the right time to make that throw. And we know, we just watched Patrick Mahomes make an incredible play, and he knows he just made an incredible play, but he also knows, I'm going to give some shine to my teammates, to my coach, and it's not important for me to shine the spotlight on myself in this moment because everyone knows I made this incredible play. I don't have to tell them again that I made this incredible play, that I'm this incredible player. They already know that. And that's a lesson that Patrick Mahomes has learned um, organically. I don't know where he picked that up, but it strikes me that Kevin Durant has not picked that up. Or... He's gone in the wrong direction because he had his MVP speech in 2014, right? Where he was like, his mom is the real MVP. And it was like, to me, that was the peak Kevin Durant in terms of public perception, in terms of my perception of him, was like, he's acknowledging that other human beings exist and they're important. But now we are in a world of I'm me, I do me. And I chill. That's what he wants to put out into the world. I'm me. I do me. And I chill. That is gross. If if that was my son posting that as a bio, I would say, well, of course he's going to post that. He's six years old. He has no concept of other people. He has no concept of where he lives in the larger context of the universe. And I think about who we venerate right now in society, guys like Elon Musk, guys like Donald Trump, people who don't show any humility at all. They do not show that we want them to be the greatest. We want our rappers to be the greatest rappers. We don't want any weakness. We don't want any sort of sharing of the credit. And I think... I can't help but think we're a little bit off base there because when I read I'm me, I do me, and I chill, I think you got it wrong, Kevin. You got it wrong here. You would benefit from having a child. You would benefit from having a pet. You would benefit from caring about anything in the universe outside of yourself. And we get into that a little bit and we get into all of the Houston aspects of the Kevin Durant trade request and then trade request rescinding. And I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with N.B. Lindbergh. Here you go. Enjoy. All right. Well, I'm joined by N.B. Lindbergh um, from Space City Scoop. And we wanted to talk, I wanted to have him on to talk about Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant's trade request to the Brooklyn Nets and then his asking for uh, Sean Marks and Steve Nash to be fired 
and then his later rescinding of that trade request, it would seem. And so uh, before we get underway in B, thank you very much for for coming on the Red Glare podcast. And is there anything you want to share in terms of plugs, uh, Twitter handles, websites, anything like that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Also, uh, thank you very much for having me on. Um, it's always fun to talk hoops with just about anyone. Um, I sometimes, when I'm walking on the streets, I'll see someone in a jersey. I'll be like, you know, I should ask them about that that player. Do they do they like them? I hold back sometimes because I want to come up with a crazy person. But right. thank you for having me come on. Uh, yeah, I do Space City Scoop, Houston Rockets website. So if you're a Houston Rockets fan, definitely check us out. We have I try to do some good analytical pieces, but we also kind of do fan reactions and you know your relative breaking news stuff of that nature. I also have a podcast called Above the Break with James Piercy, who is. I don't know. He's like he's not a celebrity on Rockets Twitter yet, but he's working his way up. He's a great dude. He's got great content, and he's he's by far and like I I can say this with a fact. He's the biggest Rockets fan in St. John's, Newfoundland it's history. History. <laughs> okay. Awesome. So so yes, like he he is committed to the franchise in a way that defies geography, and that should be respected. Absolutely, he's like an indie darling of Rockets Twitter at this moment. Like. He'll oh, be big. Good. Yeah, he'll be huge later. But right now, the, the guys that know, they know. Oh, yeah. um, and I was just telling you, that's how I found your piece. And I, and I found it really interesting because uh, obviously the other day, if you're if you're plugged into Rockets News and NBA News, you know that Kevin Durant obviously requested a trade. And then they released a statement, they being the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant collectively with the boardroom logo on the, on the bottom of the statement, which I thought was ridiculous. But they released a statement this week saying, hey, we're we're coming back together. We're going to try to win a championship. We're going to move forward together, ostensibly ending his trade request in a public way. And uh, my first thought as a Rockets fan was when he made the trade request was like, oh, this is great. Turmoil in Brooklyn. You know, you got Kyrie wants a trade. God knows what he's going to do. Ben Simmons, who knows if and when he will return to the court. Durant wants to trade. This is awesome for the Rockets draft prospects because obviously we own the the, the Nets um, draft picks with pick swaps and the picks themselves moving forward for the next few years. So my first thought when Kevin Durant rescinded that trade request was, oh, I don't know if if this is good. This sounds bad. And then I read your piece and I I clicked on your piece expecting to disagree with it. I went into your piece thinking, this guy is being a contrarian for contrarian's sake. And let me just read his piece so I can, you know, stew about it later. But as I read it, I was like, all right, this guy's done the work. He's done the thought. And, he, and you brought me along as a reader. And, and by the end of that piece, I was like, you know what? He's right. So can you, can you sort of get into the crux of your argument there as to Kevin Durant's trade request being rescinded, maybe not the end of the world? Well, it's definitely not the end of the world just because if we think about how quickly things in the NBA can change. I mean, for instance, I think heading into the offseason, Kevin Durant demanding a trade, I don't think anyone was expecting that. Obviously, it was a disappointing season, but he had four, he had a four-year extension kicking in next season, so it, it that didn't seem to be likely. The, the main idea that I've had in my head is and I'm a big believer in this when it comes to basketball, and it's why certain franchises succeed long-term and other franchises don't, is the idea of 
if you have a plan, you want that plan to play out in that way. Uh, I think a good example would be the the Knicks or the Kings. These two kind of perpetually dysfunctional franchises. They'll do the thing where they are like, "We're going to rebuild. We have a plan. It's going to take four or five years." And they have like one good year of that plan, and they're like, "Okay, new plan. We're going to get good right away." And I think that's kind of was the reaction that Rockets fans had, where they're like, "Oh, KD's gone. Nets aren't going to be very good." And my thought was always, have you seen the returns that teams are getting for high-end players? I mean, think about the value that the Timberwolves got for Rudy Gobert, or not, the Jazz got from the Timberwolves for Rudy Gobert. He's not the same caliber of player as Kevin Durant. And the Nets have no incentive because of the James Harden trade to want to take a step back substantially. Um, and so I just viewed it as no matter what was going to happen with Kevin Durant getting moved, it was just going to extend the Nets timeline. And the plan with the Harden trade was always, at least in my mind, the way this Raphael Stone was thinking about and the Rockers are thinking about, they basically saw this, this opportunity to create a very definitive timeline for the Brooklyn Nets. They said, okay, Durant, well over 30. Harden, I think a year over 30 at the time, around 31 when they move him. Kyrie, he's the youngest of the group, but he's had plenty of injury problems, and he's also clearly the least good of those three players, if we want to talk about in a historical context. I'm sure some Kyrie stands will fight that one, but like, no, he's not. James Harden is one of the greatest players in NBA history, and Kevin Durant is as well. Kyrie Irving is Kyrie Irving, great player, but not quite that level. And so they set up this timeline where it's like, hey, 2025, these guys are going to be old. They're going to be extended and expensive. And they won't have been able to add anyone realistically of value for a pretty extended period of time because they wouldn't have any picks. So they wouldn't be refreshing the squad. They wouldn't have been able to trade those picks to maybe bring in, you know, 20 to 20 or 25 to 30 year old players that could kind of extend that timeline. So the plan for the Rockets was we are going to force them into this situation where they're all in on the present and at the back end, they'll pay the Piper. And it's just essentially if you, as soon as you move Durant, that back end kind of disappears. And, and I honestly thought when they moved James Harden, the same thing. I thought that was a negative, at least for the Rockets and those the, the prospect of those picks being high value because Simmons, I know people don't love. I'm much higher on him than most people, but we're talking about a guy who's like 25, six foot 10, incredible athlete, incredible ball handler, incredible defender, incredible passer. He's not going to win you a championship, but he's also the type of player where I think he can kind of drag a bad team to you know, at least 30 wins and you throw in another kind of low-tier all-star that you get back for Durant, and suddenly that's like a 35 to 42 win team and you get, what, the 15th pick for the next five years and that sounds great, but I'll stop talking and we can get to that later, but like the 15th pick really isn't that valuable when you consider you gave up James freaking Harden. Like right. you, you, James Harden is one of the greatest players in NBA history. Absolutely. And and I think that's a really, 
really interesting point to think about the lifespan of that trade package that we got. And I say we, the Rockets, we, right? But uh, the, that the Rockets, yeah, the collective we, that we got in return for Harden when we traded him. And if you want to maximize that return, you need to sort of take the long view and you hope, and your hope is that Kevin Durant ages like a normal human being and he doesn't he doesn't have a Tom Brady-esque or LeBron James-esque sort of, you know, late 30s renaissance or, you know, just continues that prime or stretches it in inhuman ways. But let me ask you this. When Kevin Durant made that trade request, did you think they would trade him? No. Uh, I actually been saying this and I've kind of believed this from the get-go. I just, as soon as it kind of became clear that Kyrie Irving wasn't going to be moved and he was going to be there at least for one more season, I just kind of looked at the situation and was like, if Durant moves, where can he actually go where the Nets are going to get something they're going to be okay with as a return that has a better chance of winning a championship than the Nets? I mean, when you, you look at this Nets roster, they, they have some holes, and I think especially defensively, but Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are like the two perfect players to insulate Ben Simmons um, of his weaknesses. Right. And Ben Simmons is kind of covers up some of their flaws as well. You know, Kyrie's not the greatest defender. Um, he adds an element of size, rebounding, playmaking, ability to push the pace that they don't always necessarily play into. And then if we, we talk about like secondary shooters and like floor spacers, um, Seth Curry is like a 45% career three-point shooter. Joe Harris, who missed all of last season, people forget about. He's like a 45% three-point shooter. Right. Patty Mills, also an incredible three-point shooter. They went out and got Royce O'Neal. Not like going to change your life, but he's he's a pretty good 3 and D type of player. Um, didn't they get TJ Warren um, right. for like next to nothing? And, you know, he's a big question mark, but they don't really need him. And if he becomes good, I mean, he was one of the best players in the bubble. Like we're talking about a team that, and that was my, my whole thinking with it was just like the Nets are the only team that doesn't have to give up anything to get Kevin Durant. And that team, if it wasn't for all the stuff outside of it, I think Kevin Durant would want to go to if, you know, he wasn't right. demanding a trade from him. And I think the other issue obviously is like the Nets don't want picks. They want players, and the the fact that it came out of nowhere, we've seen time after time in the NBA, front offices know or have a good idea like when when guys might become available, and they kind of plan around that. You know, they plan for the cap space when guys are going to become free agents. You know, Dallas has been doing that for ages; it hasn't worked out, but they still they plan for it. And for a guy as talented as Durant, you need such a large package. It kind of coming out of nowhere just threw everything, threw everyone. They they weren't ready. Like it's just it came out of left field. And, you know, maybe if a team had an idea that this would happen during the season, maybe they like hold on to a pick. Maybe they they structure a contract a different way. And so I think that really hurt his market. And I, I was never convinced it made sense for him to leave. The only way it would make I would have seen it happening is if he was committed to making it really really ugly and do you really want to be kevin durant the guy that like 
went to Golden State and didn't win with the Nets and then blew that whole Nets thing up, even though they still had like a really good team. And it's just kind of like, it's like your, your legacy is going to be, Hey man, you're like the most unhappy, successful person in NBA history. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, before I had you on, I did a little bit of a monologue about Kevin Durant's unhappiness and how yeah. off-putting it is. And uh, I don't think Kevin Durant is a bad person, right? Like in terms of good people, bad people, things like that. But but the lack of humility and sort of sometimes the lack of self-awareness, um, it is a turnoff. If you're watching, like I was a huge fan of his when he was with the Thunder and when he had his 2014, you know, his mom, you the, the real MVP speech. And and like I went and watched him uh, uh, often when they would come through Houston, I would watch the Thunder. And I, I loved him as a player and as a guy. He seemed like a great guy. And then he obviously went to Golden State. And I thought, man, what an interesting choice. Like you could have done anything, uh, someone of that stature. You could have gone anywhere. You went to a team that probably didn't need you to win that title. You went to a team that beat you in the playoffs. Um, and then you were unhappy there, sort of, uh, to my mind, predictably, because, well, any number of reasons you can lay out there. He wasn't the man. He didn't get the credit. He didn't like the um, people like me saying, why did you go to Golden State? It's weird. It's it's soft. It's front running. It's, it's unnecessary. It's bad for the league. As a fan of the NBA, I didn't like that one team was the pro- prohibitive favorite to win the title. Then he goes to Brooklyn with Kyrie Irving, who's sort of a flake and a flat earth sort of, he's a weird guy and like also not huge in the self-awareness category, uh, Kyrie. And it was like, okay, so now you're doing this and now you're unhappy. And it was sort of unclear now this, this off season, why he was unhappy. It was it because they didn't extend Kyrie in the way that they said they would, or was it because he read the writing on the wall in that playoff series where he didn't play well against Boston, but Kyrie didn't play well either. And Ben Simmons didn't play at all. And it's sort of a question mark moving forward. So I was unclear sort of his thinking because he never made his thinking clear, right? We knew his trade request was made. And then we knew later on a month later, he requested that the coach and GM be fired. But he was never clear, at least to me, um, why he wanted to do this. And I'm just left with, like you said, this unhappy millionaire who has really made his own bed, but does not want to lie in it. Um, Do you have a sense of Kevin Durant, um, why he wants to leave Brooklyn or wanted to? Honestly, uh, my, my, my little podunk podcast went up today. I think I said in it, I don't understand why he wanted a trade considering they literally did everything he asked. Right. Like they did everything that he could have ever wanted. They didn't have the success that any of them wanted. I think that's, I think that's clear. I think everyone knows that, but they did everything possible for him to make him happy. I mean, this is a guy coming off an Achilles tear. You give a max contract to, Give him all the money of the first year. No, he's not going to play. You're taking a serious, serious gamble. You know, he because he played so well coming off of that, people kind of forget. Think about the guys that have torn their Achilles. So many of them are never the same. We're talking about elite players. I mean, I'm I'm from the Washington, D.C. area. John Wall, great player. Tears his Achilles. Never is the same. He was already kind of going downhill due to injuries, but, you know, 
never the same. Demarcus Cousins, never the same. Jury's still out on Clay Thompson. I don't think he's going to be the same. Granted, he did the he did the double whammy of ACL and then Achilles, which I th- also Demarcus Cousins did. That's I hate when that happens. But um, right. Isaiah Thomas back in the day, torn Achilles. There's a long list of guys where they took a big risk on him and like they did right by him there. They got rid of the Kenny Atkinson, a coach that people around the league think is fantastic. Um, he was going to be the Charlotte Hornets head coach, and he basically pulled out because they said they were going to skimp on the assistant coaches is kind of the reporting that I've heard out of that. But like, he's second in command in Golden State. Maybe he's the guy that takes over when Steve Kerr says, you know, I've won enough. I have nothing more to prove. Like it's, you know, my legacy can only be tarnished um, continuing to coach. Maybe he takes over there. So like he got rid of that. They brought in Steve Nash, a coach. I think, you know, maybe now he wants to be fired, but I think at the moment, in the moment he was like, yeah, I like this idea of a, a rookie head coach that can kind of, you know, I can call more of the shots. They empowered him tremendously. They signed Deandre Jordan. They, for, they went out and trade for James Harden to give him the, best offensive trio in the history of the sport it did it work out no but like they did that and then when Harden wanted out they got a pretty good return they got Seth Curry and Ben Simmons and picks like that's a pretty good return considering Harden had declined a bit and was basically playing his way out of town that always makes it difficult they you know they were pretty chill about the Kyrie thing like I know it might have upset Kyrie but like realistically it wasn't their choice that he couldn't play in those home games and they said look like we can't have you in and out half the time like one like as someone that's played sports as someone that's coached sports having a kid or having that guy on the team that's like there half the time it doesn't sit well with everyone else and it's even worse sometimes when they're like a really good player because it's like, hey, like we're missing you. Uh, we're counting on you. Or it, it just it doesn't sit well. So I thought they were like kind of within their rights. And then when it was clear they needed him, they let him come back and play half the time. I just I really don't see what they did that would have upset him on a personal level, unless there's like stuff behind the scenes where like Steve Nash is just like out of nowhere, like secretly a jerk to Kevin Durant or Sean, you know, Sean Marks is all sorts of other stuff. But like those guys, like the higher ups in that organization kind of were like, at least from Kyrie Irving and to a lesser extent, Durant kind of like emasculated consistently by those guys throughout their tenure there. And they didn't do anything to like shut it down. And then like the one, the one show of strength, the, you know, to Kyrie and like all of a sudden like there's turmoil. It's uh it's like, you know, you see kids whose parents spoil them when they you know, and then when they reasonably say no, that kid throws a tantrum and everyone's like, What's up with this kid? That's kind of how it feels with the Nets thing. Right. And and it's a really bad look if you're Durant. And I couldn't help but think like obviously he had a hand in a lot of the front office maneuvering and the hiring of Steve Nash most likely he gave the green light to that at the very least. And if you know Steve Nash is doing something that isn't working, I feel like there are ways to go about that in-house. Take Steve Nash aside, you're Kevin Durant. Say, hey, man, we're running, you know, Kevin Durant, uh, famously a hoop guy, right? Like a basketball on the court nerd. Like he loves the game. 
get Steve Nash straightened out. If they're not running the sets that you think you you should be running, I'm sure Steve Nash would be open to some like take some ownership if you're Kevin Durant and say, you know what, we're we're running too many pick and rolls. We're not running enough pick and rolls. We're too too much isolation, too much whatever. You can you have the power there to sort of shift and move things. Um, one thing you mentioned about Steve Nash, like, guys, like, why does Nash want that job? Like, he's a rich guy. He's already had his career. His career is not head coach. Um, like, go live, go do what you want. Like, play soccer and drink wine or whatever he's into. Why is he doing this? I mean, it's in my mind, it's kind of hard to say no to. Hey, I know you've never been a head coach before. But this is who you get to coach. Kevin Durant. Right. Kyrie Irving. And you look at that opportunity and you go, oh my God. Right. Like, like they that is that is the foundation for a team that can win a championship. He also, I think the one thing that is very that we need to remember, he never did win a championship as a player. So I think if and that's had, true, yeah. If he had won a championship as a player, I, I agree why like he was doing like cbs like or tnt he was doing soccer coverage like he was he was living the best life imaginable right just like just killing it um but he doesn't have that championship so i think that when you're offered the chance to be a major part of a potentially championship team and you're him you go you know that's like the one thing i don't have that i really wish i had gotten as a player and I can go and I can do this. And maybe it's like five years. We win like one championship. I'm sure he's thinking he's had like one, two, three championships and then I'll be done with it. But I think that would probably be the main reason or like, you know, these guys like are great at these. We forget they're not just great because they're like, they came out the womb talented. They're they're great because they love the game. They love to work on it. They love to be around it. The gym rats, like that's just how they're wired. Maybe just like missed like, you know, showing up to practice because i can tell you like the best players in the world they love to practice as much as they love to play when like the lights are on because like that's how you get to that level right and and that's a valid point i hadn't thought about the championship aspect of nash the appeal to that job to nash that makes a lot of sense um I appreciate the time you've given us i this has gone longer than i thought that it would and i really appreciate it (laughs) Um, I, uh, I have that effect. I, I, I talk way too much. Well, right. And, and I'm down for a Joe Rogan-esque just chill sesh, you know, where we run <laughs> for three and a half hours. But like, um, it occurs to me, I'm recording on a program that I'm not sure will allow for me to record beyond 30 minutes, um, which is most unfortunate. Um, but let me, let me just bring it back to Houston for a moment. Yeah. If I could. So you convinced me in your article that the the trade package that we received from Brooklyn, perhaps if Kevin Durant, so, you know, if Kevin Durant stays with the Nets, perhaps it's not so bad. Can you sort of forecast ahead in the next few years in terms of that trade package as Rockets fans, what should we expect as a return? What should we expect? What should we be happy with? Maybe what should we be unhappy with as, as we see the Nets move on? Yeah. So uh, the big thing is for me, I like to use data uh, to frame a lot of my arguments and just if you look at the value of draft picks um i see you have a houston texans thing in the background right i I think people look at nba draft picks and they view first round picks 
as like first round picks in the NFL. Right. And I go, they are very different. There's six rounds, six, seven rounds in the NFL. So, you know, about six rounds. There's two rounds in the NBA. So if you think about it in those terms, there are about 30 teams in each. It's like the top 10 picks, those are first round picks. And, you know, 21 or 11 through 20, that's second round picks. Right. And so if you start thinking about draft picks in that, th- that, those terms, it's like if the Nets are mediocre, you're getting a bunch of second round picks likely. You want them to be really bad. So in terms of forecasting that, where you're getting actual top 10 picks and potentially one top five pick, because once you get in the top five, that's when you get real, real value. That's where real special players are most likely to be found. Everyone kind of understands that. I believe they have swaps out to 27 and out, and no protections. So ideally, you want to have gotten a close to top 10 pick by 2026, right? If you're getting like the 15th pick in 2026, the chances of like them then collapsing to the point where they're in the bottom five is really low in 2027. So you probably want to be like, you know, ninth or eighth pick by 2026 would be probably right online. And the way these, this team's probably going to age um, is going to be tough just because if we don't know how long Kyrie is going to be there, if the season goes really well, maybe he extends. If it doesn't, then that opens up a whole nother discussion. But right. as it pertains to Durant, you want him there at least you want him there this year and you want him there next year. But by that point, if he then wants to leave, the trade package won't be as large. And then it's probably then you're like, okay, actually him getting traded is a maybe a good thing. So that's that would be another wild card. But go heading on out, like what they got the 17th pick this year. Um, yeah, that's right. Tari Eason. Yeah, Tari Eason, who yeah. I'm a huge fan of. But um, so 17th Absolutely. pick, like that's ahead of schedule. Like that's great. I would say, you know, KD's there. You know, everyone's healthy. Probably looking at like around the 25th pick, maybe even worse, maybe a little bit better. The difference between the 20th pick and the 30th pick is very, very small in terms of career value. It's basically identical. So you're getting, you know an okay selection. And if he stays there, it's probably going to be in that 25 range again. And then it's really, it's going to be like, if it can go from like around the 25th pick to like, then the 15th pick, like a a big drop, then you're looking in business. But I think you'll probably go like, you know, 17 this year, 25, 25, 20, 15, you know, and like that probable range. And it, it's just tough because Ben Simmons, I think, really, he really is the type of player that like covers up for aging players because he's good at defense. Right. He can move the ball. He can push in transition. So it'll be interesting to see. And injuries can change all of it. And I think that's the good thing, though, with Durant staying is like he is injury prone at this stage of his career. And older players tend to have more issues with that. So. Right. I think they could get one top five pick out of it. Um, but I think more likely you're looking at by the end of that around two top 10 picks. Um, and that's still great value, but it's really that top five pick is what you want. I think unless some catastrophic injury happens, you're looking at maybe one. If you get two, that's great. Like you won the trade if you get two of those. Um, right. 
but you can't get greedy. Um, for sure. And had the Durant trade gone through and let's say they moved him to Boston for a package around Jalen Brown and oh. Derek White or whatever, you know, if they had been able to get Marcus Smart included in that deal, then you are locking yourself into 15 to 22, right? Range yeah, sort of probably for the yeah. whole duration of it. And like, right. Those picks historically just aren't that valuable. It's like it's it the the value of a draft pick is not linear, even though the draft is. It's it's exponential. So it's like the first overall pick is in a, it's a tier of its own in terms of like the expected career outcome. And then picks like two through five are like relatively similar. So it's why you guess getting in the top five is is really nice. Um, and then I think it's like six through nine or eleven, they're around the same value. And then you know kind of on down the line and where it's like, once you get to the second round, like the entire second round, you're pretty much once you get to the 35th pick, like 35 to 60, those guys all have the same career, like, right. you know, fighting over. It's like, Oh man, like, you know, like, Oh, like we shouldn't trade our second round pick. It's going to be the 35th pick. It's like, yeah, it's true. But like, you know, if what's the difference between the 35th pick and the getting two late second round picks, not much. So, right. It's, it's just all about playing the percentages when you're dealing with this. And yeah, KD maybe ups those percentages at the end. I hope you're right. <laughs> I hope I you're think, right. I yeah. think, I think I will be right. And the, the one thing that Rockets fans need to take Solison, the reason why you give up a player like Harden and you don't get anyone back is because it juices the value of your picks. Right. And so, you know, some people will make this argument. I'm like a little like, okay, like you're, you're getting, it's like, we actually won the Harden trade already because like, if we hadn't done it, we wouldn't have like Jalen green and Jabari Smith. And I'm like, okay, like that's, that's true. And like, that's right. true. That's the value in that. But like, you, know, you probably still have had good opportunities to get solid players, but like that is the value in taking the approach that they're doing. The jazz are taking that approach. Um, and I think more teams in the future are going to take the approach kind of like even what the Astros did. Right. where it's just like let's get bad let's get the premium talent in and that let's do it let's do it that way it's easy that's exactly right i talk to a lot of astros fans in my day-to-day -day life where i'll mention that hey texan season's about to crank up or rockets are doing x y and z and they're like mm, uh, mm. but i'm like hey you know the astros were in this same boat seven eight years ago like we were we were really bad oh i know for in the idea in the hopes that one day you're the astros of 2022 and that's sort of where the texans and rockets are right now which is why i'm doing this podcast it's like it's an it's an interesting hopefully trajectory to follow um and you don't end up like washington <laughs> as you no, mentioned. No, I, look, yeah. look look uh i'm an orioles fan um i'm sorry for those uh sorry for your loss um, but, um, but, um, you know, the, the Orioles hired, you know, people from the Astros and like, they've been kind of ridiculed by some people in the national media for taking a very similar approach, but like, we're not probably going to make the playoffs, but, like we're in the hunt. Right. And yeah. And it's super exciting. We have, we got Adley Rushman out of it, who is like already the best catcher in, in baseball. And in terms of fan graphs war, he's already passed Julio Rodriguez in like far fewer games. So like he might also win rookie of the year. So, you know, like I'm all for the tanking stuff. I wish teams were, I wish they invested more of the, the money they're saving into like maybe other things. Um, yeah. Instead of pocketing it. 
But at the end of the day, it's like, if you don't like tanking, then complain about player draft. Because if it wasn't for the player draft, tanking right. wouldn't be something anyone would even would go for. Um, but yeah, the Astros, like, they might win the World Series this year. They probably, like, they would, after the Dodgers, they'd probably be my pick. Um, so that will be exciting. October right. baseball. I mean, to me, they are, and I'm sure there are other examples of tanking that have turned out well, right? The Spurs got Tim Duncan after one season of tanking, but like modern examples of tanking that really worked to me, the Astros, not just as a homer, but it's like, you can point to the Astros. It's like, man, they tanked oh, yeah. in, in years X, Y, Z and they got X, Y, Z. And then now they are who they are. Like yeah. it's, it is the tanking sort of success story that I point to. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I always just go with the Thunder. Like I know the Thunder didn't win a championship, but they tanked and they drafted three guys that won MVPs. Right. Did they exactly. make all the right decisions after that? No, but they like they tanked and got three guys that won MVPs. Like that is crazy. Yeah. That is wild. like that that's nuts. Like tanking if you do it right works or even the the Lakers, they tanked, signed LeBron, used the guys that they drafted when they tanked with to go get Anthony Davis, got a championship. Like, you don't have to do the the tank and they all develop together. Um, I think the Sixers, they tanked in the process and it worked really, really, really well for them. Like, Ben Simmons was an all-NBA player. Joel Embiid's been runner-up in MVP back-to-back seasons. And those assets ended up netting them this team that if Harden's hamstring has a bounce back, might win a championship. Like, that worked. Celtics... They kind of tanked and they traded away their guys. They got lucky that Brooklyn made the mistake and they ended up getting the Tatum and Brown picks out of that. But they said, let's reset. It it works. Um, It's just the way it works best is you just get as many bites at the apple as you can. And the Rockets have done a good job of that. And you, you know, you get lucky a few times. I I do really think that Shangoon and um, Terry Eason are like two really great host top 10 picks. And, if that turns out to be the case, they'll they'll be a playoff team in two, three years, I think, if they do well in this draft. And that's pretty fantastic considering they lost the most games in the league two consecutive seasons. That's right. Absolutely. Well, hey, NB, thank you so much for doing this, man. And oh, yeah. you mentioned your podcast. It's a really good one. Above the Break, right? That's the name yeah. of the podcast. I've listened to it this week. I, I really enjoy it. If you enjoyed nb today please find that podcast find him on spacecityscoop.com anything else you want to plug we have about a minute left yeah i gotta plug james piercy james piercy is my man shout out uh, james started out he started out writing for me at space city scoop he now does stuff for the dream shake and uh he also is like a fake trade master so he's always he's always grinding he's a huge rockets fan find james piercy on twitter he I've blocked most people on Rockets Twitter. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I'm just like, I, I see some takes and I'm just like, look, like I cannot take your take. It, is, it causes me physical pain. Right. Um, so if you find out I blocked you, it's because you tweeted something that is absurd. It's not at the, yes, yes, yes. It's just absurd. I'm just going <laughs> right. to call it like it's There's right. a lot of absurd stuff on Rockets Twitter, but uh, you can follow me, NB Limberg, and uh, definitely check out Space City Scoop since. Rockets podcast and uh, Summit State of Mind. Those guys are great. They do a podcast and all that stuff. There's a lot of good people out there. Oh, Absolutely. Chop Shop. I always got to throw them up. Those guys are great. Um, so, yeah, 
I'm plugging, I'm plugging everyone but myself. <laughs> well, thanks again, man. Excellent. Thanks I appreciate so much. it. So there you have it. Our very first rocket centric podcast here on red glare. I appreciate you tuning in. Once again, thank you to NB for joining me. I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did too. And we will have more of those moving forward. Of course, next week I anticipate a Texans preview episode for the Texan season that's uh, upcoming. And uh, I hope this podcast finds you well. I hope you're doing well out there, whatever you're up to. And we will talk soon. Take care. Adios. <laughs>